0: A hot-dry wind blows right through me. The baby's crying and I can't sleep. But We both know a change is coming. Coming closer, sweet.
1: Andre Land, your grooving goddess, with another content warning: open, vulnerable sharing of stories. Dana of the Cotton Time Podcast, also known as Ishtar's Return, a wonderful artist and friend of mine, and I decided that we wanted to talk about our experiences with women's health care, with abortion, and share from a more comprehensive perspective um, what is involved with those choices and experiences and why access to full women's health care can jeopardize people um, even when they aren't uh, intentionally terminating a pregnancy. We both share our stories in here and are very open about that. And um, let's see any other trigger warnings. Uh, abuse, domestic violence, addiction, some of those things. Uh, substance use disorder, I mean. But at any rate, we're sharing this because this is such a polarized topic that it has pushed both sides into being unable to see all of the gray area in the middle and to be able to see how it affects women's health care for everyone not just for women who are making the choice to end a pregnancy so I hope that this give some perspective. If you are on either extreme side, and you do choose to listen to this, maybe it will give you a little more understanding of the middle ground. And if you've had this experience yourself, maybe it will be healing, and you'll feel seen and heard. So without further ado, uh, here we go. And There's three stories involved in here. You know, I'm an old broad, so there's always going to be some extra when I'm involved. And I'm so grateful to my friend Dana for having this conversation with me. I feel like women's healthcare is at extreme jeopardy at the moment. And having these conversations is important. And helping people feel seen and heard is important. And so I applaud this young woman who could easily be my daughter. And sometimes I feel like she is, except at the same time, she is so wise beyond her years and is my very good friend. So thank you, Dana, for coming on here and having this conversation. And if anybody needs to talk about this, either to me or to a younger person, (laughs) feel free to reach out to either one of us. So much love. Hello there, I'm Andrea Land with Breathing Goddess Podcast.
2: And I am Dana with Cotton Time.
1: And we're here today to talk to each other about a really sensitive topic. Uh, I know it was in the notes, but just content warning for anyone. We're going to be talking about women's health, especially with abortion. Both of our experiences with that, which are very different. And then after we've both told our stories, kind of talk about the ways in which this topic has not been has been so polarized that nobody can see that uh, most of women's experiences with it are in the middle. It's not, I'm totally against it or I'm totally for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I know Dana, we were talking not too long ago and you were sharing with me how, you know, you had your experience and because of the generation that you grew up in, because we're also like 30 years apart in age almost, um, that there was such a, you know, kind of gung-ho attitude about it and not having kids too young and all that, that you felt almost social pressure to not um, keep your pregnancy and that you've had a really hard time with all that. So why don't you start at the beginning?
2: All right, (laughs) Uh, not a topic anyone loves talking about, by the way. Like, I think a lot of people get triggered when people who haven't gone through it, especially, get triggered Mm -hmm. when they hear uh, women talking about these things. Like that, you it shouldn't even be like if you truly were upset, you wouldn't even bring it up or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so. I was in a relationship, very tumultuous relationship. Uh, Looking back, it was just because we were both young, had really awful family situations, like no emotional support, no parental guidance, which is probably how we got in the position where (laughs) we created a pregnancy together in the first place, accidentally. Like we loved each other and mm-hmm. we actually were still together now after almost six years.
0: Oh and wow.
2: Yeah.
1: How old were you both when this happened for you?
2: He was 21 and I was 20, about to be 21.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not that, that super
2: was... young, but
0: yeah, you by today's adults. standards. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, like my mom, I think she had her first pregnancy at 22 or 23. So like comparing to her, I felt like super young, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is bad. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I was going to college and it was the summer after my, I guess, sophomore year of college. And I remember I knew as soon, like as soon as you could probably humanly possibly know, I knew it was like. The week my period was supposed to start, and I wasn't even technically late yet.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I just could feel something there energetically, not like physically, just like, just felt like a pressure and movement, but obviously nothing physically would be moving at that part
0: mm-hmm. at that
2: point. And I was like, I just think I'm pregnant. So I bought a pregnancy test, took it like an early detection test. Mm-hmm. and it said I was and I was like all right <laughs> uh as I'm like in my bedroom in my mom's house I have no money to my name me and my mom don't have a great relationship me and my older sister don't really have a good relationship and she definitely wouldn't want to be an aunt uh me and my brother have an awful relationship he was like violent towards me my whole family while I was growing up and he his bedroom's like right next door to mine. Oh boy. Uh And then I have a little sister who's 10 years younger than me. And my dad died when I was a kid. So like that's the state of the family <laughs> that right. I would have to like that, support me.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot. I mean, it sounds like they, you know, everybody was in some mode of survival and not really being able to support each other at all.
2: No. And I think, I didn't even tell any of them, by the way, ever. None of them. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And that was five years ago. We're going on five years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and my boyfriend also lived in a different state in his
0: oh, grandma's <laughs>
2: house. <laughs> in his grandma's house, who had dementia with his dad, who had just gone out of jail and was an addict.
0: Oh, is an goodness. Addict.
2: Yeah. So it's not even, there wasn't even a, a like, entertaining having a pregnancy, it's like, carrying mm-hmm. its term in my mind. I was mm-hmm. just like, no, no fucking way. Like, who right. would help
1: me? Yeah. That, uh, that's a lot to take on, you know, on your 20 year old self.
2: Yeah. And plus I was still really go hung about gung ho about college and Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a career and I wanted to be professional and like have my own money and blah, 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 which I think is important to a degree Mm -hmm. to have some resources, but I don't think you need to have this like super fancy, well-established career like I used to think.
1: Right. I know attitudes about that have changed significantly for obvious reasons but
2: yeah um. so I find out and for some reason I guess I just felt comfortable enough just calling my boyfriend and telling him about this because I was going to visit we did this thing where every month we would alternate visiting each other so one month I would go for Mm -hmm. like a four-day period and then the next month he would come and it was my turn to go but I was like too eager with the information to wait so I just called him and I was like uh I'm pregnant (laughs) he was uh like all right well I guess and then we had a camping trip planned for that next week and my birthday Mm -hmm. was like the week after that
0: Mm it's a very
2: very charged time and yeah. looking back, I conceived that pregnancy around or on the 10th anniversary of my dad's death, mm. which is also weird <laughs> looking back. I didn't even yeah. notice at the time, but uh, so then he's like, I guess you can still just visit like normal and we can spend time together and talk about this in person and then basically it's just up to you was how it was
1: right he didn't want to tell you one way or another what to do yeah Um, which honestly probably at that age was a more mature thing for him to do you know rather than to be like well I think we should keep it and I'll marry you and you know even though that might have helped (laughs) at the time in some ways uh, you know yeah looking
2: he definitely made it known that like he in an ideal world would love to keep it because he like me has always wanted to be a parent and Mm. is a very nurturing person and Mm
0: -hmm. we're both
2: very aware of like childhood trauma and how important it is to like break and change the cycle and I think he would like to have started doing that but also just was so emotionally broken from how his own parents treated him
1: Mm-hmm. Like and and had, the life he was still living, just like yeah, ew. like just
2: stuck stuck around the like tattered ends of our childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know if he ever directly said he like let's try, but he there's just like the way we would interact with each other and like touching each other that it was like obvious that we both felt warmth towards it.
0: Mhm.
2: And I definitely did. Um I remember when I found out I laid I think this was before I took the test. I like laid on my couch in my bedroom. And I was laying under a window and there was like a beam of sunlight coming through the window that was like perfectly landing on the area. Mm. And I could just like feel the sensation of energy being like transferred already. Mm-hmm. And already feeling like a connection and like, this is more than just a clump of cells or more than mm-hmm. just like, like it's could possibly be a part of my family if I allowed it. Right. Um, and so go, we go, <laughs> uh, I go visit him in Virginia and we go camping with his dad, which was awful. Oh, and I some got. of his friends. Oh, boy. His friends are all nice, but his dad <clears throat> was not fun to be around. And his dad, like, brought his also addict girlfriend, and they were both, like, getting drunk and acting crazy. So it was, like, me just sitting there with this inside of myself, and, like, the adults around having no idea, and them just, like, acting acting mm-hmm. a fool, kind of.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Just kind of re, Oop, lost my earbud. Just re, like, driving it home, like, uh, there there's not really any stable ground to do this upon.
1: Right, like, this reinforcing is... that instability right in your face.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though, like, I'm walking through the woods, and I grew up in North Jersey, so I wasn't really exposed to much nature. Mm-hmm so this was my first I think that was also my first time ever camping also oh wow so yeah lots of lots of weird intense events happening Mm -hmm. and I'm walking through the woods with like bare feet and like walking in a stream and like feeling how the moss feels under my feet and I think being in the woods with bare feet was like making even the pregnancy feel more like powerful Mm -hmm. and I was like using an axe and cutting wood. And I remember feeling so strong and like physically felt great, but then everything Mm -hmm. around me, was awful.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And camping trip ended pretty uh, shittily. (laughs) My boyfriend was, since he grew up around addict parents had addict tendencies. So he like mm-hmm. took some stuff with his friends while he's part while he's there, and I just stayed in the tent by myself and was like crying in the tent. And I was like, "There's just no way."
1: Aww. <laughs> I just <laughs> like, want to go back and hug you. I'm going <laughs> back in time right now and hugging you.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking <laughs> sad.
1: <laughs> it really because, is. It's
2: just it sad. Really is. Yeah uh yeah and I wasn't even really allowing myself to reflect on how sad it was I just was like you just need to go do that and
0: Mm -hmm. get rid of
2: this because the longer it's here the more attached you're gonna feel to it right and I just wasn't willing to take the gamble and try and trust the people around me to take care of me during that time and Mm -hmm. although that was awful and really painful, I feel like I was right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so I was talking about this camping trip. It really exemplified exactly why I should not be trying to start a family, because trying to become a mom and going through birth to me is like descending into the underworld. Mm -hmm. And that requires a lot of trust on the people around you, like the living space you're in and just in yourself, like having the confidence to do that. And I definitely was not in that position just cause I had no, there was no strong women in my life. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I could have uh, been more knowledgeable and in my power by 21, but there was no strong brothers in my life. My mom had kind of just, she like created most of my insecurities, (laughs) like the opposite of what a mom (laughs) should be doing to her child. So
0: Mm
2: -hmm. everything was just upside down. And I feel like that's how it is for a lot of people these days with how fucked our culture is. So Mm -hmm. even when people could feel ready to become a mother it just seems so impossible in this day and age.
1: Yeah, it it definitely isn't as supported, that's for sure.
2: No, not at all. It's like a burden to be a mom and to bring children. Mm -hmm. So I also wanted to, when it hung up, I was going onto a sidebar of in the future, oftentimes when I would tell spiritual people about this experience, they would say to me, wow you know I can feel that if you had gone through with that it would have been fine and you would have been happy
1: oh yeah what a shitty thing to say to somebody yeah ugh,
2: and that, on- like, that has it has honestly ugh. scarred me uh,
1: <laughs> I don't blame you I mean wow yeah. wow yeah uh, people say some pretty <laughs> dumb shit but wow I also I'm want to say sorry, it was a man, a
2: man who said that.
1: Oh, gross.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A 38 year old man told me a 20 something year old young woman, "Oh, I know with my my super spiritual powers that on another timeline you're a mom right now and you're so happy, but sorry, you're on this timeline. That's bad." <laughs> was basically how it felt like he was saying.
1: Right. Ugh wow how enlightened
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) so psa never fucking say that to anybody
1: yeah (laughs) it's if they've ever if
2: they're confiding in you do not tell them oh i bet you would have been a great mom like that does not make it that doesn't sweeten the blow
1: no it doesn't make it better um i think the only appropriate response to someone is um, you did the best you could at the time with the tools you had, and um, you know. How wow, what I a sacrifice! You? you know, how can I support you? You know.
2: Mhm. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> awful. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> but-
1: that's wild. Um, so so what you went so you left Virginia you went back home and then what yeah
2: happened? I also wanted to point out so when we came back from the camping trip his grandma was like in the throes of her like her dementia is getting really bad at this point point. Mm-hmm. and when we came back from that trip she was just so angry at me and I feel like it is because on some unconscious level she knew that I was pregnant somehow like she was just picking it up in the ether or something Mm -hmm. and like me and my boyfriend would we had I had visited a ton of times at that point so like it wasn't odd for us to like lay in his room together but Mm -hmm. for some reason during that time she was like pissed that I was in his room with him and like mm-hmm. made me lay on the floor and was like you guys cannot be in the same bed together oh, wow. <laughs> it was how, yeah it how was weird so crazy
1: traumatizing
2: yeah yeah and she was just like arguing with his dad and he was like trying to get her to calm down but she was just like screaming mm-hmm. just more ammo of not a good time not a good space
1: <laughs> yeah just so much reinforcement of the toxicity that you were both mm-hmm. surrounded by
2: yeah so at, during this time my mom also invited my boyfriend to come live with us which was super out of character for her to let so just like offer someone to come live in our space and mm-hmm. she was a pretty private person and she didn't really know him very well like she met him a few times when he visited but they weren't like friends or like super close or anything but Mm -hmm. I just was telling her about his home situation and she was Uh like how about he comes and stays with us and I extended the offer to him and he was just like like his car had just broken down his job was like way too far away for him to be able to really get there easily so it kind of felt like all signs being like yes do this Mm -hmm. plus I was about to go through this experience and it's a lot better to have him there more than just like for a weekend
1: (laughs) if I'm gonna have to go through that yeah
2: yeah so we were all just like okay sure why not like I don't have a great relationship with my mom but I kind of need you here so come into my family Mm -hmm. which looking back not the greatest choice (laughs) because if you have narcissistic family members, I find the more access you give them to your inner world, the worse things become. Yeah. And having him there just felt like giving her huge access to my inner world. Mm -hmm. And now she's like totally in control because we're living in her house, so. But anyway, uh, so three days after my 21st birthday, We go and do this. And this is like during, I think, when Trump was running for president. Oh, boy. Or he had just become president. I think it was 2017. So I'm, I guess he was already a president.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like on the radio, people talking about President Trump as I'm like driving to the abortion
0: clinic.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And, yeah, that was the year people had, like, rallied in the streets in New York City, and I had, like, come back mm-hmm. from a college one day, oh, and I was, March. like, walking in the, yeah. yeah, walking in the protests and stuff. It was just, like, really, I mean, it's been tumultuous, honestly. It's just, it just keeps being tumultuous. I can't even say that was a tumultuous time.
0: hmm Right. <laughs> it's
1: just like a tumultuous okay. time. Yeah,
2: right. for mm-hmm. almost a decade. Yeah. Or plus. Um so when thankfully I was in New Jersey and they are much more uh I don't even know what word to use. Like in other states they have all these like hoops you gotta jump through to get an abortion. Like right a lot of times there's like So you mean in New Jersey
1: they just give you access to your health care? <laughs> crazy wow (laughs) imagine
2: that (laughs) yeah like I could just make an appointment I think I had to I don't even think I had to I guess it was a month like a month of waiting Mm -hmm. and some states like they're only like you can have a surgical one which I think is a lot more traumatic Mm -hmm. or they'll let you have the pill but you have to take part of it here or like the whole thing here and you have to bleed here in our clinic which I also think is weird like just let the person go home yeah but in New Jersey you're allowed to just get the medicine there and then go home and be in private so got the medicine and did it on a weekday so my mom's at work my older sister doesn't live with us anymore I guess my little sister was at school and I guess my brother was home just in his room And he's kind of like a hermit, so he never comes out of his room. Mm -hmm. So me and my boyfriend, we bought soup for me to eat and like prepped and stuff. And then I took it while eating soup. (laughs) And it was like butternut squash soup. And I can't eat that soup anymore because as soon as you take that medicine, like 20 minutes later, you just start vomiting and shitting literally at the same time
1: yeah uh do you remember what it was called the soup or the no no the, the medicine, medicine. <laughs> the medicine. <laughs> uh,
2: starts with an m i think
1: is it methotrexate
0: mm,
1: I, I don't know i'm gonna have to look the, it
0: up yeah. keep talking
1: i'm just wondering because i'm pretty sure because when I was taking methotrexate every week for six years, um, like every month, my period was like a miscarriage pretty much because that uh, chemical does that. But anyway, continue. That sounds yeah. awful.
2: <laughs> yeah, it basically induces a period, especially mm-hmm. as early as mine was. It, was, mm-hmm. it uh, essentially was just a, a late period.
0: Mm-hmm
2: um yeah and my boyfriend I remember I was just literally had a bowl I was sitting backwards on the toilet with a bowl on top of the back of the toilet vomiting into the bowl and using the bottom half for to (laughs) let it out the other way and just in agonizing (laughs) in agonizing pain and just sat in the shower bleeding and being in pain but I'm glad I got to have my own space without having to explain myself to anyone really um and it only lasted a, a few hours and we went up to my room together and he just like cuddled me in bed and i had a giant pad on, pad on and by the next day it was done
1: wow uh I'm so glad that, you know, you had the support of your partner during that. Um, I can see why, like, that's such a bond to have with someone. Um, yeah,
2: and sadly, very rare to have a guy who handles it like that. and who, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: um so did your so your mom and your sister like never knew you just knew that if you had said hey guys I'm we're pregnant they would have been like okay you're out of your mind you're too young mm-hmm.
0: yeah
1: yeah um, so how did you feel like did you feel physically off for a while afterwards or was it like pretty quick just kind of like reset physically
2: Physically, I felt honestly fine after.
0: It mm-hmm. just felt
2: like a a really intense and sudden period that mm-hmm. made me sick.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and like nothing hurt down there or anything, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but emotionally, I think I just felt kind of confused because mm-hmm. I. Feel like growing up I was kind of taught that like it's a sort of casual endeavor in a way like
0: it's right. as simple
2: as birth control like you take the pill and you don't get pregnant and it's definitely more emotionally complex than just taking other forms of birth control
0: mm-hmm.
2: especially when you and your internal world wanted to keep the pregnancy and you had to just sacrifice your own wants for the benefit of this potential child, which is the better Mm -hmm. thing to do, but it still sucks that women have to sacrifice parts of themselves because our culture and society is awful.
1: Mm -hmm. The ways in which motherhood isn't supported, uh, childcare, Minimum income level, you know, like basic income, basic resources, medical care. You know, it costs like ten 000 to twenty thousand dollars to have a baby, or at least it did when I did it. I don't know what it costs now. It's probably more. And then, um, you know, once you have one, then women make less. They a lot of times can't work because. Like in my case, um, I think I was going to make twenty dollars after I paid for daycare, and so I basically would Jeez. have been working for insurance benefits if I got back to my job with my first um, child. But uh, so yeah, I mean, our society does not. There's, there's, you know, there's not enough preschool. There's just there's so many things that we're shut out of. And then, and we're expected to somehow find this magical, mythical creature of a man. And I mean, you know, it's really not fair to the guys either. This isn't like man bashing right now. It's just the truth of the way it is, the way the system is set up. We're expected to find some guy that's just like, okay, well, I'm gonna uh, sacrifice everything and work and support you, even if I can't. And, you know, and, uh, and then they're expected to do that, you know? And it's like, it's all such an antiquated way of structuring things. And the fact that women are the ones who uh, do the birthing has been the thing that has been used to, in my opinion, anyway, to control us and keep us subservient. A hundred percent forever
0: <laughs> yeah. there might have been a few
1: matriarchal societies here and there that you know it was different but not really
2: literally christianity framing uh birth as this like punishment mm-hmm. like why is creating human life a punishment guys
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what
2: why are you treating it like that that should be a yeah. beautiful joyous initiation
1: well in turning being pregnant at any age and under any circumstance into something that is a burden
2: mm-hmm. instead
1: of something that is um, a miracle. You know, a miracle. Um something that we're meant to like that we we should have the option of having that experience whether we're poor or not, you know. Yeah and then that's the thing is and and it's kind of funny because I think that's honestly what's happening right now with some places like Texas and whatnot that are putting up these abortion laws it's a two-pronged thing there's the racism factor because more white women are you know like there's less white people (laughs) you know what I mean like we're not reproducing as much and so therefore they're like well shit you know we're losing our quote-unquote, majority. Um, And then there's the other part of it where, um, uh, where was I going? Uh, You know, it's just another way. um,
2: Like they want to maintain a poor class of people.
1: Mm -hmm. And they need people to work. They need people to work. They need poor people who will do
0: those shitty jobs jobs jobs. no one else wants to do.
2: Yeah.
1: The things that are underpaid and underappreciated in a lot of cases and because there are blue collar jobs that are really good paying jobs and everything but like generally who does those men (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean like the only jobs I can think of that maybe I mean nursing is a skilled job so it may not be quite the same thing but you know what I'm saying like as far as like a trade a skill that someone studies and then gets paid well for, um, there's not as much of that opportunity for. Yeah. And
2: plus, if you're having an accidental pregnancy, it will make it way harder to get that schooling, to do that trade.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like the lack of that support. So it's just never ending. So, so it was, it was hard emotionally afterwards and confusing. How long did that like what was what was kind of the like six how months to heal out after that out. yeah like how did and then and then your partner as well um yeah it takes it's hard on men
2: too um
1: mm-hmm.
2: I think a lot of men are just conditioned to believe they don't want to be dads
1: right like
2: my boyfriend was experiencing all of his friends being like oh he dodged a bullet there like
1: oh gross
2: yeah yeah like well that's great like why are yeah. you sad <laughs> and it's fucked up uh, yeah um yeah and there's just really no space for men to have feelings about b- pregnancy either
0: mm-hmm.
2: um but I to I just felt this energy inside of myself like I needed to mother something after that like uh, my opportunity had kind of been robbed from me but I still want to experience this in some way Mm -hmm. so I was like why don't I work at a daycare I need job experience I've never I had like one job at that point I had two jobs but they were like you know like a three day a week thing you do part time while you're going to school like not not a serious thing that I was showing up for every day and like experiencing what what that's like to go work every day and like take it more seriously than just something that's funding my school so I decided to take a break from college because I was like I I just can't see myself going to school (laughs) after that like I need a moment at at least Mm -hmm. and I applied to some daycares and ended up getting this job at one It started out as being the assistant of the infant room, but if you know anything about the world of daycare, it has a huge turnover rate because daycare Mm -hmm. teachers are treated like shit and paid like shit, and pretty much, I would say 9 out of 10 daycare teachers I've met are, like, super overstressed, overworked, sick all the time, Mm -hmm. poor um and this woman I met in the infinite room was just like having a crisis every day so she kind of just quit after I was there for a few weeks Mm. and they were like well we don't have anyone else so we're gonna make you (laughs) person a 21 year old girl (laughs) who has never worked with children besides like helping raise my little sister which I kind of think is all you really need is life experience right um we're gonna just have you run this classroom of 15 infants
0: and we'll have
2: (laughs) we'll have someone come in and help you uh but it was basically my room and it was extremely difficult as you can imagine and
1: wow I just mean I can't even (laughs) I just it's just like I remember when mine were younger and occasionally I would like watch someone else's and I would have like maybe two one-year-olds and that was like enough yeah <laughs> 15 is just yeah. even if they give you like what like maybe one other person to help you that's just bananas
2: yeah there was one other rotating person and you know it wouldn't be all 15 every single day but
1: most Mm -hmm. of the time
2: and i just bonded with them all they i still think about them and wonder about them they're probably like five years old now like Mm -hmm. all of them are definitely talking by now um yeah and i it was just it was a good choice although the industry is terrible i'm glad i got to like learn a lot about how to take care of kids because you don't really ever get taught that in any
1: environment unless you're in a family with like multiple siblings where Mm -hmm. they're like a few years apart or that's healthy you know what I mean or whatnot you generally don't that is totally true these days um so like when you were you intending when you decided to do this? Like, I have this hurt and I'm confused about these feelings. So I'm going to express the mothering I didn't get to do by going and taking this job. Was that um, part of it for you, or did that just come accidentally as a byproduct? No,
2: I think it was definitely part of it. Uh, I had thought about working in daycares in the past because. I just saw other women I knew talking about, like, that that was a job they had, they usually quit because it was, didn't pay enough, but I was like, well, I'm not going to school, and I live with my mom, so I don't really have to worry about mm-hmm. having a lucrative job, and I'm just interested in babies right now, and feel like this mm-hmm. would be nice to get to be around them, and that's
1: a really yeah. amazing way to um, heal yourself, you know what I mean, to set yourself up for the right environment where you're going to be able to nurture that part of yourself and explore those feelings. Um, Yeah. I know you had expressed that like recently you've been uh, struggling with it a bit more.
2: Yeah, Uh, well, (laughs) I am also glad for this because, Overall, I would it definitely showed me like like I would never put my own child in a daycare.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: if I'm going to have a kid, I'm going to have to be home with them for a long mm-hmm. time because I've worked in a lot of schools. I've worked in infant rooms. I've worked in toddler rooms. I've worked with pre-K kids. And I have not really found a school that I would feel comfortable taking my kids to in the two wow. states I've also lived in. As like nice of a teacher, I think I am too. Even I was getting like super stressed and like mm-hmm. I can see how, yeah, it's just, it's too much pressure for these teachers with
0: mm-hmm.
2: the like the little pay that, the, I make more serving drinks at a movie theater than I did working as a teacher for pre-Kids. k
1: yeah, and therein is one of the other problems with our the way society doesn't support uh, children and parenting and being a mother or a teacher. You know what I mean? Like we, mm-hmm. our education system from zero to twenty-two is completely messed up, and everyone is overwhelmed and. Uh, constantly in a state of survival more than thriving yep how can that work I you know part of the reason I wound up I mean the money was definitely a factor but part of the reason that uh, I wound up not going back to work um, and in in a lot of ways the physical damage that I had that kind of took me out of the game anyway, um, was a gift because when my son was about four or five weeks old, and I was like, just barely, you know, recovering from delivery and uh, all of the physical difficulty I had after the first kid, um, (laughs) I would go to places that took infants because you know not all, that's the other thing too that nobody talks about not all daycares do infant daycare and a lot mm-hmm. of people have to find like an in-home person like a private person because it's just harder to manage a bunch of infants in a daycare and it winds up being more than people can afford but um, I, I would take him with me you know and we would go mm-hmm. and I would go in there And I would like, you know, have the tour, talk to the people, assess the situation and feel the energy and then go cry in my car in the parking lot. And I, every time it was like, how am I ever going to be, and it wasn't the people that worked there. It's just the environment, you know, um, how Mm -hmm. am I ever going to hand my precious baby over to these strangers and go to work 40 or 50 hours a week. How am I going to do that while I rest in the bathroom at work? And like, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. So to be honest, like I, in a lot of ways, (laughs) I thank the universe all the damn time for making sure that I got to stay home. Um. Yeah, so I really hear and feel what you're saying. Um, a, lot
2: of, a lot of times I am shocked that parents feel comfortable leaving. Or maybe they don't feel comfortable and they just feel like they have no other choice. But
1: yeah, they're probably, you know, do feel like they don't have a choice. They just have to suck it up. And they're probably suppressing feelings, disassociating. Yeah, probably just know? not looking oh. into
2: it too deeply.
1: Yeah, yeah I've yeah.
0: seen
2: teachers act awfully to kids. I've had to quit so many places because I just couldn't stand like I would just walk in and hear yelling like yelling at toddlers Mm
0: -hmm. like screaming
2: at them and grabbing Mm -hmm. them and I'm like this last place I worked at I just kneeled down on the ground in the playground and this toddler hugged me and I just started crying while hugging her and I Mm -hmm felt so bad for her I just it's it's a lot I like to all the teachers who are strong enough to keep their shit together and be an actual good peaceful environment for their kids you're like an angel on earth doing divine work (laughs) like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I so desperately would love to work at a school that
1: feels good write something that was a little more and you know like it's I can see it on the horizon so clearly it would be a matter of just having certain tools and training for, for the teachers you know and for the staff but you know another part of it too is just there's too many damn kids for them to keep up <laughs> There's yeah. just too many. It's, I mean, 15 babies. That's just, like, that's, my mind is still reeling from that, for real. I, that's like, it would be like running the maternity ward, like the, what do they call it? It's not the nursery, I guess, where they take the babies when women are there and uh, there's a bunch of babies in the little little nursery. It would be like running that all by yourself.
2: Yeah, and although it was nice that I got to connect with children and, like, learn what kind of mother I would be and, like, what Mm -hmm. things trigger me and knowing, like, learning how to have patience with children and how they communicate and stuff has been great, but also I feel in some ways I was victimized again by that that industry being taken advantage of. Like, my empathy was just, like, siphoned from me.
0: Mm -hmm. in these
2: hostile environments and I felt like this sense of duty to like be there for kids and like be the nice teacher that could
0: Mm -hmm. make them
2: feel safe and that felt uh, abusive in its own way.
1: Yeah that's an unfair um, level of emotional burden for anyone to have just for their job now. So, so how are you feeling about it all now? I mean, I know you, you know, it was like, you feel and know it was the right decision for you, but um, you had expressed some struggles with it still just that you still feel sad about it you get frustrated and angry thinking about how if you know if your families have been different if society had been a little different that you would have um totally kept that pregnancy if it made sense
2: Mm -hmm. and I feel like I would have thrived in that role and in a Mm -hmm. different world that that I meant that's I just feel like I'm meant to be a mom, and I would be a great mom, and Mm -hmm. that's just kind of always been my natural inclination, and even when I was a little kid, I was, I, like, loved my mom, and I thought she was amazing, and I would, like, try to do nice things for her all the time, and, like, offer to paint her toenails, and, like, wake up early on a Sunday, and, like, take out the dishes for her out of the dishwasher, because I knew how hard she worked. Like, I always felt very aware of how my mom felt, even though she didn't really mm. express how she felt. Uh, and I always just wanted to like ease her burden, <laughs> I think, which is
0: yeah. not
2: great. A kid shouldn't feel right. like they're a burden, but
1: right.
2: I, I just think I always had this empathetic caretaker energy.
1: Well, Yeah. And you're very maternal and very loving and kind. Like I felt that from you from the very beginning, even though you're, you know, you're young enough to be my daughter. uh, I, I felt the maturity from you Mm -hmm. like that, that mothering sort of presence and from the get go um, have felt that from you and and admired you for that you were one of my first guests on the podcast I'm just thinking right now um yeah so is there anything more you want to say about your story before I start talking about my side of it a little bit uh I guess I couldn't
2: just like cap the timeline like I realized I quit my last daycare job and I don't think I'm ever going to go back unless it's like an amazing school at this point point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have noticed that if I had gone through with that pregnancy my kid would be like turning six so they would also be out of the daycare age range mm-hmm. and it's like oh, I've like worked in the field interacting with kids as they were going through the stages that my kid would have been going through it- wow like, I had to, like, experience all the ages, even though I wasn't going to experience it with my own
0: kids.
2: Yeah, that's something I think about sometimes on an energy level, Yeah, that I unconsciously was doing that or something.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me, and, um, you know, I'm sorry for the parts of it that hurt, and I support you and the decision you made you know it really all things considered it was probably the right one but like you're saying I understand that part of you that's like but this you know just a just a little more help from somewhere it yeah. possible and uh I think that's a sentiment a lot of people share, and that's part of why I really wanted to have this talk with you, um, and then talk about my experiences with it as well, because um, people aren't seeing or expressing a lot of times because if they're if they're pro-choice, they feel a pressure to be like, "Yep, I did it. I'm fine with it," you know. Yeah. I never think me.
2: about it. I, I have no regrets.
1: Because then you're somehow betraying, like, the cause or feminism mm-hmm. by expressing that, and then likewise. I felt like
2: that for a while. Yeah,
1: and then likewise, if you're pro, you know, uh, anti-choice, I, I get tired of calling it pro-life, uh, so if you're anti-choice, <laughs> um, then you're, you're equally, you know, entrenched in that side, and you have to just be against it, even though you may understand that there are Mm -hmm. cases where maybe it it, it is necessary and if we could just get to the point where we can talk about it realistically and understand that it is an accessible it's in a part of women's health care that needs to be accessible and for like the reasons that you said you know you're lucky you lived in a state where you were able to have a much gentler experience and be in your own space and all that And Mm -hmm. so many people do not have that option or any option in some states now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, my experiences reinforce why it's so important for it to be available and Mm -hmm. for women to have that choice just as part of basic healthcare. Um, I've actually, I had... Um, one abortion, but I had a miscarriage before that, which basically wound up being an abortion because of my access to health care. So before my children's father, I was in a relationship with someone who was, uh, you know, he struggled with alcoholism and with violent, and I was still deeply enmeshed and not healed from all my own uh, tumultuous upbringing, messed up family. Like I never saw any good examples of relationships or marriages ever pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, in the meantime, I had lupus. And so I was constantly told, um, well, you're probably not gonna be able to carry the term Like, I don't know how many times people told me that they told me that over and over and over, but, uh, dysfunctional boyfriends and I were living together, we were engaged, all of that stuff. And I, I don't think I had gone off the pill, but it was one of those things where like, I may have just missed one day. And even though all these people told me all the time that I wasn't going to be able to carry and all that. I still had like extreme fertility <laughs>
0: it's like hell yeah. so it was a miracle <laughs>
1: that I got to that age uh, without getting pregnant honestly but because I think I was like 27 so uh we got pregnant and we weren't married yet but we were living together and we were engaged and um he was like you know we were doing things like uh counseling for him and whatnot. So it all seemed like, okay, well, we are living in a house. We have jobs. Um and I and at the time I had a job that I easily could have done through my pregnancy. Um so it seemed feasible. And um then uh I was already a high risk pregnancy even though I was in the middle of my 20s, right? Mm -hmm. And I was didn't have good health care you know benefits sucked I lived in a small town where there was like only one hospital that did maternity at all and it was the Catholic hospital Mm -hmm. uh, which my doctor was associated with Um, so I had like so many ultrasounds Uh, and then around and you were very calm. And I don't know if you were about to cry at any point, but I'm just telling you now, I may get emotional. That's okay. I haven't talked about any of this for a long time. Um, but so about 12 weeks, something just didn't feel right. Like I wasn't spotting mm-hmm. or anything. It was just like something didn't feel right. Cause like you, um, I felt that energy immediately even like Mm -hmm. as soon as I missed a period I knew um and we that was the other funny part is that like um you know we hadn't been trying but it's like I just knew and so at 12 weeks um I went went in because I just felt like something was wrong and this was around Christmas uh it's so weird because I always have such a hard time in November, December. And it's like, yeah, because almost every shitty thing that's ever happened to me, like surgeries and, you know, it, it all seems to happen in that window of time for whatever reason. Huh.
2: It happens for me in July and August.
1: <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird how... Yeah. Like, I, I have to check my chart and see what the hell's up with that. Um, so I go... And she does the ultrasound, and there's no heartbeat. And uh, so she tells me that I've had a miscarriage, and that the baby stopped growing at ten weeks. And um, yeah. and then, so you know, I I ask her, okay, so. What do I do now? What do do I do? And she said, well, you have two options, but uh, the other option, you'll have to go to Planned Parenthood, which thank God we had one here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We are a small town, so we very well could have not had one uh, 20 something years ago. Uh, But she said, well, you can either go to Planned Parenthood and get a, a, DNC. She didn't call it an abortion at least. Um, she said, or you can go home and just wait for it to happen naturally. So since I was deeply invested, you know, I was keeping this baby. I had no intention of ending the pregnancy. Um, I just I couldn't couldn't go do that and the other part of it was I was gonna have to pay like several hundred dollars right Mm -hmm. which who has that at Christmas time on 220 something salaries right Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so I just couldn't afford it and uh so I just went home and waited for this thing to happen to me you know And um, finally uh it was about a week week and a half new year's eve i start having cramps and bleeding and you know i was 10 weeks along it's not like I, i was like three weeks pregnant or something yeah and uh so it was so painful um and by New Year's morning, I mean, I, I was in agony. I was throwing up from the pain. It was getting worse, mm. And I just knew I was not gonna be able to just, you know, deal with it. Um, plus, you know, something could be wrong because that's the other thing is that waiting for it to happen naturally can be highly dangerous. You can put your body really. into toxic shock and sepsis um, if you're carrying around, you know, uh, this <sighs> terminated pregnancy for too long. Um, so it was so bad. I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, Mr. Alcoholic was um fully hungover because you know he had been getting drunk because it was new year's eve and it didn't matter that i was in the middle of uh oh my god oh my god so great so guess who drove me to the hospital take a wild guess your mom oh my god new year new ad welcome to 2022 i want to tell you a little bit about my services i do a variety of oracle readings animal communication expansion coaching consciousness anchoring and grief mediumship support i feel like i'm forgetting something but i'll just move right on to the patreon which is a darn good deal because here's the deal with that there's a 5 10 and 20 dollars tier. All tiers receive 50% off all of my services all the time. Unlimited discount. As well, the $10 tier gets full access to all content, including all previously recorded content from the last three months. And you would think with only three months, I wouldn't have that much, but boy, there's plenty up there. It would take you a while to get through it, to be honest. So there's plenty to watch and listen to and absorb and learn from. As well on the $20 tier, my VIPs get a free service every month. So that is like a 75% discount on some of my services. If you would like to have me as a guest on your podcast, or you would like to be a guest on mine, go to my booking link through my link tree and book a podcast interview if you have a good or service or healing art or intuitive practice that you would like to trade with me for one of my services let's start the new economy with bartering shall we so go book a trade go book a podcast interview go book a service and go join the patreon at grooving goddess on patreon you will have to go do it in a browser Because you can't find it uh, in the app due to the fact that I have it marked 18 plus So if you would like to join the patreon go do that there and boy We just can't wait to have you there. The patreon has grown so fast in the last few months And I know we're just going to keep growing. So come join the Xanadu party and Learn more about yourself space weather grid work consciousness expansion time manipulation and perception and much much more because I called my mom and she also said you know I don't know not feeling well or whatever her reason was but she said she could meet me there later because my my mom is a narcissist too she's much Mm, better now with the
0: dementia (laughs) 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 They're <laughs> so much fucking nicer. It's like
1: I finally have the mom I always wanted. It's crazy, but uh, but um. So I go to the hospital, the only hospital you know that's going to deal with me. I'm in the ER, and they're taking all this blood to see if I'm drunk, um, on meth, like you know, like they're doing all these tests instead of helping me with bleeding. the problem and i'm just bleeding vomiting and cramping oh so God. bad like i just the pain it was way worse than actually having a baby the the pain that i was in so yeah because
2: you don't even have the end result to look forward to
1: it's just yeah like grief yeah so i and i mean they kept me waiting Like I was waiting there for at least an hour and a half before my mom got there. And then thankfully when my mom did get there and saw what the hell was happening, because they hadn't given me any pain medicine. They hadn't, like they weren't doing shit for me except for giving me a vomit uh, tray and um, shoving a pad under me. Uh, And, and, you know, it was one of those rooms where you're just like, like those ERs where you're just like, kind of hidden by a curtain but basically just this big cattle call
2: and there's like bright lights
1: yeah bright lights people everywhere all kinds of noise people coming in with you know like gunshot wounds and dumb bullshit
2: and then they're Um, racking up a bill as you're sitting there
1: yeah exactly and so the I mean and the pain is just getting worse and worse and worse so finally they get all my blood work back and decide that I'm not a drug addict or something And they do give me something to calm me down, like, you know, to take the edge off. But at that point, you know, it's, I'm cramping so badly. And of course, I find out later that this doctor could have done it more humanely and not tortured me. But I was, I didn't know any better, you know, especially my generation. Mm -hmm. We didn't learn shit about our bodies or pregnancy or birthing or any of that. Like, you just and, and even though I had watched a lot of birthing stuff, I hadn't watched anything about how to have a miscarriage. You know what I mean? So uh, my mom climbs up their butt so that they are taking better care of me. And I start to at least have some support around me. And so I'm in, they take me into the, they move me to this other area because they need equipment and shit. And I'm laying on this table, all these people around me, like six people, plus my mother, you know, coming in and out. There's curtains. There's people listening to me screaming and crying. Mother. I don't want to use that word anymore because it's racist and I can't use that word anymore. This piece of shit. Um, He, uh, I only recently found out the seedy underbelly of the term mofo um oh I don't even know that oh gosh well that's a whole side topic but basically <laughs> yeah, that <originated> just- <laughs> as the um the male slave who would be sent around to impregnate the female slaves oh my lord right and I I don't think ha- as a matter of fact I heard an African a black woman talking about this and she said at least two-thirds of my community have no idea, because we use that word all the damn time, but she said, I don't use it anymore, and I'm telling other people, and since I heard that, like, every time I start to say it, I'm like, nope. So, anyway, this piece of shit. Wow, thanks
2: for letting me know that. (laughs) uh,
1: Who's irritated on New Year's Day for having to come in and deal with my bleeding pussy. Uh, How annoying
2: for him. Yeah,
1: so annoying. Ruined his day football on the Rose Parade, so he take like no no pain medicine no nothing just starts using the dilate because what they do is they take these dilation rods then they insert them in your cervix like larger and larger dilating rods these metal rods that they shove up your fucking cervix and they're probably
2: not explaining this to you, right? They're just doing it.
1: Uh, well, no, he was kind of saying stuff, but I mean, honestly, I was delirious from pain and bothering True. and dehydrated. And at that point, I was like so out of it uh, just because I was in so much pain and so miserable and upset. Yeah. You know? It was sad, too, what was happening to me.
2: And yeah. Really
1: and about that. Um, your
2: partner didn't even fucking show up.
1: Yeah, he, he was too hungover to bother coming to the hospital and wanted to watch football. So, um, oh
2: my god, yeah. I hope that man has had an awful life.
1: <laughs>
2: I kind of think <laughs> he has, <laughs> Good.
1: but um, so anyway, uh, so they have to do this like four or five or six times with larger things until they have your cervix open enough that they can insert the tube that they will then use to, you know, vacuum out and scrape out the lining of the uterus and anything tissue remaining in there. So, which I felt all that because they hadn't properly medicated me and hadn't properly Mm. done the procedure. So I'm feeling all of this happening and, and then I go home, you know, and my, my partner's like clueless and and then I had to like go back to work after the holidays because me being young and stupid and not understanding uh I had already started telling people like I didn't know the don't tell people until 12 weeks rule you know what I mean that they talk about just in case something happens so that you don't have to deal with that with people so for like weeks, I had people asking me how it was going and then being re-traumatized. I wouldn't tell them, no, I'm not pregnant anymore. And then, you know, just like, so it just continued for a while. And uh, I was devastated by that. So I tell that story because it's an example of why full access to healthcare is needed. For women because if I had had another hospital to go to or insurance that would have covered the procedure that I needed or whatever I would have been spared all of that agony uh that was totally yeah that's angry. that's just that's an assault yeah that was exactly what it felt like and that was the other thing too because I hadn't fully processed all my sexual trauma because I hadn't remembered it all yet mm-hmm. um so I'm a sexual assault survivor like <laughs> laying on this table vomiting from pain while they torture me you know it was there not needs to sense. be
2: like they like women shouldn't have to go to hospitals for these things there should be mm-hmm. places specifically dedicated to women's health and experiences and pregnancy needs you shouldn't be going through this in a bright lit room with gunshot wound victims wailing next to you like yeah nobody talking to you about the emotional interpersonal side of this
1: trauma yeah. no one treating me like a human you know I was just someone in the ER taking up space and making them do things at the time. And, I, and I, I'm not, the doctor was a piece of shit, but I'm not blaming everybody in the entire hospital. You know, I get it. I understand how the system works. but uh, So that was one experience. And then fast forward another year we are two weeks from our wedding. He'd been sober. You know, we were like, the counseling thing had gone really well and you know, we were so, we had anyway, so we'd even like bought a house together, like not married yet, but uh, together we're able to qualify for this house and um, things were looking pretty good and then he got drunk went off and he got went in a blackout and he hadn't been violent towards me before but he had done things like you know like punching a hole in the wall when he was mad because he lost his wallet or those kinds of things which i now know those were all signs you know but i didn't at the time because mm-hmm. my personal trauma was not healed yet uh so 2 weeks before the wedding um he had gotten jealous over something. He was really, really drunk. And uh, we're laying in bed. And the next thing I know, he goes in the living room. He gets his shotgun. And he walks down the hallway and points it at my face and is crying and out of his mind. And I am laying there completely terrified and faint. God, I had the presence of mind or source or somebody told me how to speak to him and calm him the fuck down. So he would just lay down and pass out. Uh-huh. But the whole time I'm waiting for him to shoot me. And um thankfully I got him to put the gun away and lay down. And he passed out. And then I laid there wide awake for like four hours. Uh waiting for him to wake up and go to work so that I could take all of my shit and leave. <laughs> you know, because that thank was that. like I am done, you know that yeah. was... <laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> this is something <laughs> that we're gonna talk about. Oh
2: my fucking crazy.
1: And I had a whole wedding planned and everything. So now oh, I have my God. Whole wedding. and thank God for my mom because my mom said to me, she said, honey, it's just a wedding. But this is like the one time in my life before she got uh, dementia cured that she was like su- super supportive, you know, in a situation. Mm-hmm. And she told me, she said, it doesn't matter if it's the day of the wedding. We can, you know, back out of this anytime you want. And it doesn't matter. You know, it's better to follow your heart and do what you know is right for you than to worry about all this other stuff and so she had already told me that so I packed up as much stuff as I could in my car and my dog and uh, well actually I had to leave my dog there but that's a whole other separate trauma story um I did rescue him later um I had to dog nap him uh (laughs) (laughs) I got real gangster after that
2: (laughs) I would too, fucking gun in my
1: face. Yeah, but anyway, so I left him and then had the uh, obligatory um, rebound. My relationship has broken up. Male friend, who always had the hots for me anyway, hook up. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I had slept with two men recently. One, who was a crazy alcoholic. And uh, Another who was a very nice man, but happened to have this genetic um, condition that is horribly painful. And like he had just purposely decided never to have children for that reason. Um, so a uh, week or two after I moved out, I found out I was pregnant.
2: Wow. You are
1: fertile as fuck. I seriously, (laughs) I am. It's, I, and I mean, thank goodness, or I wouldn't have any kids, I guess. But, uh, my grandmother used to say she got pregnant if a man took off his pants in the same room. So, (laughs) not surprising. (laughs) I guess it's a family thing. And, and I'm sorry to anyone out there who struggles with fertility. Um, so, here I am in this situation now where uh, I don't know who the father is and it doesn't matter who the father is neither of them are going to be okay and I just couldn't I couldn't do that I couldn't bring a baby into that situation I couldn't Mm -hmm have a baby that I knew might either have an abusive alcoholic father that I'm estranged from, uh, whose family would have fought for like 50-50 custody and all that stuff, you know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Or um, have a debilitating, disabling, painful disease with very little treatment. so, uh, I was like 28 at this point. So, there, I mean, there was no question in my mind. I just, I have to go uh, get an abortion. I wasn't happy about it, but I knew it was the right decision. And thankfully I was in a position where I could go and um, go to Planned Parenthood and, and get one and I could pay for it. Um, the, the clinic was very, you know, like you're saying, it wasn't brightly lit, it was quiet. They were very kind and explained everything to me. Um, they made sure that I had whatever sedation or numbing was necessary so that it wasn't painful. And it was uh, a very quick procedure. And um, I was able to feel fine about the whole thing because I had money, and because I didn't have to go to the Catholic hospital. Yeah. Um, and so, there have been lots of times, even though I know I made the right decision, there were lots of times that I have thought about, the, you know, what if, did I make a D?
0: or Mm -hmm. or just
1: those thoughts like you have those thoughts like wow they would be 20 something now or Mm -hmm. um and then when you actually do have children after there's that as well and 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 um being a high-risk pregnancy person anyway when I did get pregnant later in my 30s and you know it was intentional on purpose again ridiculous like I went off the pill and I was immediately pregnant and then uh-huh. my second child the doctor said well you're not getting any younger so if you're going to have another one you should probably stop uh, breastfeeding so that you can um, conceive and I have one period and then I was pregnant again um wow
2: I want to so, see your natal chart <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> um I'll send it to you but uh so you think about it while you're pregnant because you're like what if what if that did something what if that did something and I'm never gonna you know be able to carry this baby you know like all those things are oh
2: yeah I have that thought a lot which yeah I think is like infused with some Catholic guilt where I'm like oh what if because I did this I'm not going to be able to have kids ever again like the universe will punish me like that was my one shot
1: it totally is just so you know because um in reality uh I can't remember what the percentage is but a really high percentage of first-time pregnancies are miscarriages and then women go on and have babies no problem um and also you know, there's not, there's no evidence that having had to have a DNC or, you know, the abortion pill or any of that um, reduces your chances later. So I do think it is just a lot of that imposed guilt and whatnot. Um, yeah, like
2: punitive thinking of yeah. the universe as this punitive force, gonna yeah. you know, punish yeah. you
1: but when I had that experience where it was within my control and it was so much more calm again guess who drove me there yourself yeah and then I drove (laughs) Uh, myself to work afterwards god I couldn't miss any more work (laughs) you know
2: (sighs) I actually also had another abortion story but
0: it doesn't feel like
2: an abortion because I did it myself outside of the medical system Mm -hmm. so I don't even think about it that way but maybe I'm fertile as fuck too because two years later my boyfriend and I Mm
0: -hmm.
2: had it happen again but I found out so early that I was able to like google different herbs and stuff that you can take Mm -hmm. and yeah I did a I think it was parsley, parsley tea. Oh. Boiled parsley and drank huh. the broth from that, and I got my period within a week.
1: Wow, that's really um, amazing. I knew it was good for UTIs, but I didn't know that. Um, thank goodness you had that available. But yeah, you know, having a more pleasant experience. Obviously, it made me see the vast difference between the first experience, which was totally unnecessarily traumatic. And then Mm -hmm. my second experience of losing a pregnancy, you know? Um, And the, uh, so so all of that, (laughs) backing it up in my ancestry, my great-great-grandmother uh, she was, uh, ev- everybody in the immigrant community um, in Yonkers, New York, called her a white witch because she was a <laughs> witch, she was an herbalist, she, um, she was a doula, she was a midwife, and she was also a cut wife, which is what was available in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s before this became um a medical procedure there were some doctors you know but uh so like I had this strong lineage in my family of the idea of why it's necessary for women to have access to this because like in her case um because my grandmother you know would would help her getting instruments and towels and those sorts of things. And so she, she knew a lot about everything that was going on. And um, usually when women came to her, uh, they had either been assaulted or mm-hmm. um, they were married and they were either Catholic or just happened to be with someone who refused to stop impregnating them. Like, you know what I mean? And like, if these women had not gone, like they couldn't feed any more children. They were already in such poverty. Um, And, you know, or their partner was abusive. And so um, this is why this whole system (laughs) and subject needs to be addressed and talked about because I don't think people who are staunchly in the anti-choice side of things understand that making these laws don't just reduce access to health care for women who are even seeking an abortion not that it should but you know like their moral objections they're throwing women who have miscarriages women who have you know some kind of trouble like they're throwing everybody in the same bucket and just saying well Mm -hmm. tough shit (laughs) <laughs> you know? and then providing no alternatives. Yeah. yeah providing no alternatives no support and then if you do taking
2: it away in fact
1: and, it, and then if you do need to uh be a welfare mom you know then you're maligned and
0: mm-hmm.
1: called a piece of crap because now you're you're uh living off the government and being lazy because you're raising this kid that um they told you you had to have so God. obviously, all of that is screwed up.
2: Yeah, it, I think mothering. There needs to be a revolution around motherhood.
0: Mhm, mhm. And you know and what? I, I, I
2: really want me, to be part of that.
1: Me too. What I find striking about the having told you these two stories now that I, you know, said it all out loud, mm-hmm. is that. Uh, the second time when it was my decision and my choice I really was okay with it I mean there were moments throughout my life where I thought about it but it wasn't with like a ton of regret or beating myself up it was kind of like the way you're talking about like gee I wish things hadn't been so shitty you know Mm -hmm. Um, and then Comparing that with the first time, where uh, I everything was out of my control, I didn't have access to the healthcare I need. It was a pregnancy I wanted in the first place, and I was treated horribly because of mm-hmm. lack of access to that healthcare. <clears throat> um, yeah, and just the- and that was much more traumatic to me, you know. For sure. That is
2: a horror story. That would be a scene out of a horror movie.
1: Seriously. I, and, and when, um, when did this come up for me? I think it was when Brett Kavanaugh was put on the Supreme Court and then RBG passed away and I realized what was going to start happening, um, with women's health care and access to healthcare. Uh, that was when I remembered that story of the miscarriage and what happened and how much that, you know, traumatized me and impacted me and made me realize that it's not just about abortion even, you know, it's not just about that choice. It's about, access to women's health care period you know
0: mm-hmm. it's women need weird.
2: to know their bodies and mm-hmm. have more ownership over their fertility and mm-hmm. conception in itself like yeah I just there's a lot of lost knowledge around motherhood and the phase of it in your life as this like initiation into a what should be more respected position in your society?
1: Yeah, it truly. I, uh, I just don't, like, I mean, we don't know what the solution necessarily, but we know there has to be some and we need to find them because if mm-hmm. they actually want women, like it's just so bananas we have all these everything's other-
2: backwards
1: everything's backwards and it's not like it's it's not like it's this way of the whole world because other countries who have health care and daycare and parental leave and all of those things have a much much lower uh abortion rate period mm-hmm. you know um so Yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that I think you and I sharing our stories is probably going to help some people see the different facets of it and not see it mm-hmm. so black and white maybe, and also maybe have some healing or releasing of their their own experiences. Um, we should be able to talk about these things without having to feel like we need to be on the right political side of it or we need to be ashamed, you know, or that or that we need to be like, yeah, I had abortion.
2: And (laughs) I'd get five five more. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, Yeah, there's
2: There's also way more women than you know who have experienced this, and
0: most Mm -hmm. people
2: just don't ever allow themselves to talk or think about it. I had an experience recently, uh, part of getting over my abortion was getting really into art and putting that creativity into, or like that creative energy into like a physically creative thing instead mm-hmm. um and it really helped me like find an identity after that too but uh, I made a painting called abortion in the jungle
1: I have a uh, <laughs> yes I you know what this makes so much sense now because I mean I saw that because I'm on your Patreon you know but mm-hmm. um keep, keep talking we'll have to um maybe I can share that image when we put this up
2: yeah maybe it could be the cover of the episode yeah. or something yeah
1: that would but be
2: uh, I made that painting it was my first like big canvas painting and it took me three months to do so it was like a huge project and I recently last weekend went to a market to try and sell some stuff and the whole time <laughs> most people are not vibing with my stuff they just like look at it or walk away some white man uh-huh. made like <laughs> <laughs> a weird like white dudes where you're just like what the fuck and would just oh I'm
1: sure vaginas <laughs> <laughs> and Jonathan blood I must run yeah
2: literally yeah. and uh, I went through the whole thing for like two or three hours and got no sales and I just got so discouraged and I was like you know what I'm just gonna go I have to work tomorrow I'm tired like whatever so I start packing my stuff up and also earlier during the festival, I was like chanting to myself, like, I just want one sale, just one person, one person, and I'll be happy. And I'm packing up, I have everything away except for that painting. And this woman just, she comes in and immediately like a beeline comes to me. And my I'm like, cover in the process of covering the painting up. And she's like, mm-hmm. can I see that? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and I uncover it. And she is looking at it very seriously and she is like what's it about and I was like I just decided I had had two drinks earlier in the night so I was like whatever I'm just gonna be
1: honest That's <laughs> some courage Colin. <laughs>
2: yeah and I was like to be honest I had an abortion when I was 21 and it really affected me so I made this kind of like to honor that experience And she's looking at me with tears in her eyes. And she's like, I had mine at 21 too. Can I buy it?
0: Wow. And
2: yeah, and we just started talking immediately. Like we had known each other forever. And I was like saying how I've been recently having these changing feelings about it. And she was like saying she has too, and she normally doesn't ever talk about this. And she usually keeps it to herself, but she said, like, looking at the image, it reminded her of lying in the hospital and just feeling like a victim, kind of, Mm -hmm. and how that that's not the narrative you're allowed to talk about Mm -hmm. in regards to it these days. Yeah. And, yeah, that just felt like a confirmation from the universe, like, that, that that these realizations i've been coming to are true and other people are feeling this way and i'm not alone and feeling like this
1: yes that is amazing and beautiful i i love that confirmation and i love that you know you got to be part of that woman's healing and her yours and also um validating and and appreciating your art in that way um yeah I uh, I think you're right. I mean I, this is coming up for healing for good reason. and um, the only way and this is kind of how I feel about everything right now, even the things where you would obviously be like, oh well they're just you know they suck. Uh, they're <laughs> terrible people. the things that they believe are wrong. I just I still feel like like nothing. Like, no matter who's fighting about what, nothing will ever get solved by yelling at each other, you know, from opposite sides of a polarized view. Um, And I know a lot of people are like, well, this and that, and everything is part of the whole uh, ball that holds everything together. But I definitely think that there is room for for growth and learning in that process and there's no reason that we can't get to a point where we talk to each other more and talk about our experiences without judgment to learn and grow from that than what we're doing now
0: Mm -hmm. yeah this is is
2: a definitely a gray issue you have to be able to hold Mm -hmm. the duality of it and most people cannot
1: Yeah, yeah, they just, you know, they get, they get this idea, and part of that, too, is because people don't understand biology and anatomy, and just all all the factors, you know, combined, Mm -hmm. they don't, um, but they just, like, people who are against it have this image of, you know, a promiscuous woman, Mm -hmm. or, um, and, uh, that if you know you're like taking a, a living breathing um, human you know and exterminating them and and then you have the other side like we talked about in the beginning going like they just can't see past their extreme viewpoints it's a clump of cells like, yeah, <laughs> that's always they, the response yeah and then and then women like have to stick, die on the clump of cells, sword. Um, Which is dehumanizing to... in
2: its own way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cause so... like we
2: said, there's this like energy there, mm-hmm. but that energy is so sacred that women will choose to protect it by not letting it come into this world cause our world's fucked up.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm yeah like, see that is the thing it's, it's like that if energy you want
2: those babies to come through you got to fix the place mm-hmm. you're gonna grow them and this place is a nightmare
1: Mhm. much of it is yes and I completely understand that I I have so much love and compassion and hope and regard for anyone who is um having babies right now in the middle of all this chaos. And I, 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 I know it must be really difficult when you're young and just kind of starting that part of your life. And you're like looking at that decision and thinking Mm -hmm. to yourself, when am I going to feel like this is a good idea? and kittens let me tell you about meow podcast on youtube this is our collaboration between myself andrea land Griving goddess and Serafina of Fraggle-ing with Serafina. It's hard to believe that we have been doing Meow Podcast, M-E-O-W-W on YouTube for almost a year now. Watch for a lot of exciting upcoming events this year. We host a global panel discussion and healing conversations about topics including metaphysical, sociopolitical, health, really all about aspects of human and non-human life so come join us on meow podcast please like subscribe hit that alarm button so that you get notifications of our episodes when they drop we have many guests from Grooving Goddess and also from Fraggling with Serafina as well as entirely different guests that you're not going to get on other podcasts so come listen watch And enjoy Meow Podcast today. You can also find and follow our page on Instagram, the Meow Podcast, and send us a DM if you would like to be on the show or you have any questions or comments or just want to say howdy. So come on down and start your stuff with us cats and kittens in these healing conversations. Meow Podcast. It's not a vibe. It's a
0: Frequency. Dream, C, o, e. I spun around in circles, trying to find someone to save me.
1: it. Both of our, in my opinion, very carefully and artfully expressed feelings on a very difficult topic. You can find my wonderful friend Dana at Ishtar's Return on Instagram. That's I-S-H-T-A-R-S-R-E-T-U-R-N. And you can also find her at her Linktree slash return, And she has a beautiful Patreon, which I am a member of. It's very affordable. And she shares her beautiful artwork and poetry. Uh, you know, not every painting <laughs> is abortion in the jungle. Uh, but the fact that she was moved... To express and work through her feelings through that beautiful, albeit striking, evocative painting. And that through that, she had this healing experience with another woman who had gone through the same. And who now has that hanging on her wall. Is the most courageous and amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. So... Thank you very much for listening. And please go follow Dana. Check out her artwork. It's truly beautiful. And please follow her. And thank you again Dana for being on. You know where you can find me. And uh, next episode should be a little lighter I think. Um, I have some wonderful interviews left to share. And I will do some solo casts. Just honestly, all of this solar activity and my own catapulting into the new year along with everyone else has not left me a whole lot of time to sit here and muse in my musings, as it were. So I love you all very much, and uh, I think that's it. So I'll take you out with a song I wrote a few weeks ago. I really love it and that is what I'm finding is that if you don't love what you're creating just don't bother putting it out because it is not your authentic self now there's always a little bit of self-doubt with that you know everybody has that but if you have been moved by your heart and soul and passion to create something and it expresses what you wanted to put it out there so much love